0: The ultimate
1: tournament of everything. Welcome to the Ultimate Tournament of Everything, a bracket-style show where we compare everything against everything else, put them in a blender, and figure out which one comes out the winner. That's right, and we do so by
2: rising to the heights of wealth and fame, only to lose it all and plunge into deepest poverty. Amidst the rubble and refuse of our lives, we see a single flower growing. Beneath the flower, a sole source of life. What is that source of life? Why, it's our selection to move on to the next round Oh! Of...
1: That sounds like a Hallmark movie, but not our show. What we will actually be doing is picking one random Wikipedia page and then a second random Wikipedia page, talking about them, figuring out which one we think would win in a fight for supremacy, and then moving that one on through one of our rounds of the tournament. How do I keep forgetting? It's a great question
2: for your doctor. (laughs) Well, why don't you remind me for the very first time who will be facing off in this very first round.
1: In round one, we have picked randomly at this moment, Japan Airlines Flight 404 against Palma ho, ho,
2: ho, ho! Two very, very, very exciting teams uh, going to be clashing here. Uh, we knew that this was going to eventually happen, these conference rounds. Rivals. Let's see who's going
1: to be victorious in this iteration. Well, I'm sure it's going to be exciting, not for the reason we were hoping, because Japan Airlines Flight 404 was actually a passenger flight that was hijacked by Palestinian and Japanese terrorists in 1973.
2: You know, that's a story that you don't hear too much. Um, Japanese and Palestinian uh, terrorists. Farming up together, they must have had quite
1: a grievance. Yeah, the flight departed amsterdam Schiphol International Airport in the Netherlands en route to Tokyo via Anchorage. The aircraft was a Boeing 747 with 123 passengers and 22 crew members on board. That is a lot of crew members for a flight. Maybe they had way more crew members back in the 70s. Because I think last time I flew, it was like a captain another captain, and four flight attendants.
2: Well, you know, a bunch of them, you can't really tell where they are. Uh, That overhead storage can hold a lot more than you'd think. Um, This flight hijacked. Shortly after takeoff, uh, in the course of the hijacking, a grenade carried by one of the skyjackers detonated, uh, killing her and injuring the flight's chief purser. Um, I'm not sure how you get a grenade on an airplane when I can't even get a Capri Sun, but apparently they managed to do it.
1: Yeah, airline security was definitely way more lax back then. Like, I think of that scene in Home Alone where they're running for the plane, and I'm like, if you run in an airport now, you get arrested. Like, they're not like, oh, no, sure, come on. You want to go to France? Yeah, why not? It doesn't happen that way anymore.
2: Yep, yep. And then the kid falling behind. um, You know, they didn't necessarily, I think, have the camera technology in 1973 that they do today. Um, That was kind of the heyday for... uh, hijacks. And uh, this plane apparently fell into that trend. Now, um, it seems that uh, the terrorists, after several days on the ground, demanded the release of Kozo Akamoto, a survivor of the JRA's attack on the Tel Aviv Lod Airport. Um, Very interesting. All of this happened in the air. Right. Um, But you can only stay in the air so long. And it's really the land that it's about. And, um, you know, I think we should pivot on over to a very particular piece of land. And that is Palmena a village in Baxkiskan County in the southern Great Plain region of southern Hungary.
1: Now, this uh, city, village, has... 1,801 people in its population. It has a total area of 20.58 square miles, and its postal code is 6112. Mmm. Its area code is lucky number
2: 76. Now, uh, it covers a total of 53.21 kilometers squared, and um, that's about all we know.
1: Yeah, there's really not much more to this article than literally everything we just read. So now, do we go with the one we know the most about, or do we go with the one we'd actually want to visit?
2: Well, I don't know enough to know that I'd want to visit it. Um, There's a whole—I mean, honestly, it takes up like what? Look at that picture there, 10% of the country— uh, and yet there's only 1,801 people choosing to live there, uh, there was a lot of people trying to get on this flight, even though it didn't go so great, uh, I think I'm gonna go with Japan Airlines Flight 404 as my selection to move on to the next round.
0: Uh, who are
1: you gonna choose? Well, I I do have a policy where I don't want to reward terrorists. That's up there with uh, don't be a Nazi, don't own people, don't reward terrorists, Mm -hmm. pineapple doesn't belong Mm -hmm. on a pizza. It's really a simple Mm -hmm. list that I think everyone can agree with. And because I have to stick with that rule, I'm going to go with the village, which means I think we have a tie. Wow.
0: Time for a tiebreaker.
2: In the very first round, you dare defy me and try to tie me. Uh, Okay, so we all know how this goes. We spin a globe and point our fingers at a random location. Whichever location will end up being the one that we're going to go to on our holiday
1: this year uh, will be the one that we're going to move on to the next round. Incorrect. We will actually just be picking a number between 1 and 10,000, and whoever is closest, even if you go over, is the winner.
0: hmm hmm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That
2: is, as I recall, accurate. So, Rob, what number are you going to choose to represent Palma
1: Nostra? I'm going to pick a number for every person in the town, 1,801.
2: That is an entirely solid number. Um okay. I think I'm going to take a good look here. This is uh see the aircraft was a Boeing 747-246B. So I think I'm going to go with 7472.
1: And our number as randomly ser- selected by Google in the internet at this moment is 5,783, making you our winner.
2: Japan Airlines Flight 404, you are flying high and moving on to the next round of.
0: <laughs>
2: Tiebreaker right away. Yeah, yeah, we wasted no time, and I think we should waste no more time. Getting into round two.
0: It's time for round two.
1: In round two, we have Yana Kramarenko against Radislav Nanadal. Fantastic. I love
2: these fancy-sounding names, and I can't wait to learn about them and find out which one is going to be our champion.
1: Now, as everyone knows... We have been following the career of Yana Kramarenko for a while because she is an Israeli individual and group rhythmic gymnast who competed and won the 2020 European Group All-Around Champion. And that
2: is a highly touted group um, consisting mostly of Europeans and taking place in the year 2020.
1: Now, she was a member of a junior team that represented Israel at the 2016 Junior European Championships in Israel, obviously, placed fourth in team competition, later placed eighth in rope qualifications, and 23rd in ball qualifications. She then later joined another group and eventually won a silver medal, losing to Russia. But this was all a
2: prelude to her graduation to the senior class uh, in 2019, joining the Israeli senior group. uh, She placed, they placed, sixth in the group all around at the 2019 World Championships in Azerbaijan. And in November 2020, they won gold at the 2020 European Championships in group all around
1: as well as silver in the team competition now while she may be a great rhythmic gymnastic our competitor against her radislav Nanadal, was a wonderful writer and translator of the english language
2: yes we're talking about linguistic gymnastics mental gymnastics and alternate flexibility if you will uh this individual born On the 30th of October in 1929, Uh, in his childhood, he moved to Prague with his family uh, and then studied English and Czech at uh, looks like Charles University.
1: Now, he then, after studying, began work as a college educator, and he's known for translating into Czech works such as uh, works from writers such as Ernest Hemingway, Truman Capote, John Irving, and others. So we can assume he's bilingual, which is two more languages than me or you speak. And he also translated the novel Sophie's Choice.
2: Indeed he did. Um, but not only did he rewrite the words of others, uh, he also wrote several novels, such as Rock Carova De Cara Agine in 1985, uh, and a few others Um, before passing away in 2018 at the age of 88.
1: You don't want to give any of those other novels that are mostly just consonants a shot? You don't want to try to pronounce any of those? I certainly don't.
2: Um, But what I do want to do is try and suss out between these two highly lauded competitors, uh, which will be this round's
1: champion. Now, while Radoslav has done a lot of great things, his career is unfortunately over, but Yana Kramarenko has a, lust, a very lustrous career ahead of her. I'm sure of it. And I think I'm going to vote for her to move on.
2: Let me take one more look. Look, okay. Here's what I see. Um, Ratoslav Um Truth be told, he's peaked. You know, he's past his prime. And it just seems as though this Yana Kromarenko, you know, bronzes in 2021, but she's scoring golds now. And I think she's only on her way up. Indeed, no different in this, the ultimate tournament of everything, moving on to the next round. The
0: ultimate tournament of everything.
1: I have to absolutely agree. And the word I was looking for is illustrious. Lustrous would just be like if she was a shiny rock, which she is not. She is a person.
2: But all of those golden metals around her will make her appear as such. So, speaking of gold, let's move on to that shining entity that is round three.
0: Three. 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 It's time for round three.
1: In round three, we have the 2015-2016 Hampton Pirates men's basketball team against the list of WPS drafts.
2: Indeed. Now, no one knew that there were Pirates in the Hamptons, nor did anybody realize that there were previous drafts of the WPS. Probably, um, I don't know. We're going to learn more about what that is in its final iteration. So let's jump. Right
1: in. Now, the 2015-2016 Hampton Pirates men's basketball team represented Hampton University, which, as we all know, is a private, historically black research university in Hampton, Virginia. During the 2015-2016 NCAA Division I men's basketball season, they were led by seventh-year head coach Edward Joyner, played their home games at the Hampton Convocation Center.
2: How oh, defeating such heavy hitters as Morgan State, Savannah State and South Carolina State to become champions of the M.E.A.C. tournament uh, and winning the conference's automatic bid to the big show, the NCAA tournament, where they lost in the first round to Virginia.
1: You can definitely say they showed up and then they quickly left. Mm -hmm. But at least they got a
2: ticket to the show. Uh, Speaking of tickets, uh, let's see what it would take to get a ticket to uh, any one of these WPS drafts.
1: So for those of us who don't know, the WPS draft is the Women's Professional Soccer Draft.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, The absolute best of the best when it comes to American female soccer players um a lot of yeah you know, i mean this is just obviously the tip top of the profession um we're seeing here historically from 2008 through 2012 it appears um the inaugural one being in 2008 uh they appear to have uh, grown and developed
1: uh adding teams now is women's professional league soccer still a thing because our list of drafts only goes up To 2012.
2: Perhaps the league has turned into something other. Um, This article does not indicate.
1: Now, apparently there is a National Women's Soccer League. Now, that's the top professional league in the U.S. Founded in 2012. So maybe, maybe that's what happened. Maybe women's professional soccer changed into the National Women's Soccer League.
2: Well, AFL, XFL, NFL... WPS, it's all football in the end. And uh, it seems as though, you know, this is just, look, competitors going to compete, and it doesn't matter what letters you throw on top of them, they're going to get on the pitch, and they're going to fight for such teams as the Los Angeles Soul, the Western New York Flash, and
1: um, the Atlanta Beat. It's a good thing we got them in there. You don't want to miss the beat. You got to leave them in.
2: Yep. You cannot miss the beat. Um, It appears throughout their season, the 2015-2016 Hampton Pirates men's basketball team didn't miss many beats. Um, I'm only seeing a handful of losses on this large schedule of green. However, this list of WPS drafts is going to be full of only winners, and so I think I'm going to go ahead and stamp it down for the WPS list of drafts.
1: I definitely got to agree with you. We know that women's soccer is actually the best soccer in America. We know this. This is true. They have more gold medals than the men. They have more championships than the men. Hey, guys, sorry, that's how it goes. They're better than you are. And they're definitely better than the 2015-16 Hampton Pirates men's basketball team. That's right.
2: Out in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And out in the first round of the Ultimate Tournament of Everything list of WPS drafts. You're scoring goals and moving on to the next round of... The
0: the Ultimate Ultimate Tournament of everything.
1: Everything. It's always exciting when you get a sport versus another sport. It's
2: good! You know what else is good, Robert?
1: Is it round four?
2: You know it. Ah, my round four is ready.
1: In round four, we have Francisca Elman-Rick against Zamlini Masovian-Vivadiship. Wow,
2: this night has just been a cornucopia for the mouth, an iteration of, um, you know, buffet, uh, a, a buffet of consonants and syllables, if you will. This round is no different. I can't wait for the absolute mouth festival
1: that is this round. Francisca Elmenrich was actually a German stage actress. She was regarded as the last heroine of the German theater.
2: Uh, Born into a family that excelled in the arts. Uh, Her great-grandfather, a Christian singer. uh, Her grandfather, an actor. Her grandmother, an actress. Her father, a singer, composer, and theater director. And she married a playwright so uh, this whole family seems to have been about the arts
1: now is that because they were naturally gifted or did they train up their children in the way it should be i guess that's a question for another day now elmerich here made her debut in 1862 in meinigen after performances in mons and castle she became active on stage in hanover
2: indeed uh followed by engagements in leipzig Hamburg, Dresden, Munich, and then she toured the Americas, made guest performances in London, and uh, after a stopover at the Berlin Court Theater, she performed in Hamburg City Theater and then joined the Court Theater in Berlin.
1: She did retire in 1915. Her final show is actually in Berlin at the Court Theater. Passed away in 1931, and in 1948, a street in Hamburg was named after her. The street lies in the district of Mitt, in the suburbs of the city.
2: Huh. Do you know where a lot of streets probably lie? Ooh, where? In Zamolny Masovian Voivodeship. Uh, Of course, the settlement in the administrative district of... Gmina Stara Blotnika.
1: Now everyone in- also knows that that's in Masovian Voivodeship in East Central Poland. Now I know it's- everybody comes for the facts and they stay for the pronunciations. <laughs> and you're gonna get accuracy in neither here. Now
2: it lies approximately nine kilometers south of Białobrzegi. Um, and 72 kilometers south of Warsaw.
1: I think that last one you got right.
2: Yep, yep. Uh, Definitely uh, stayed up late practicing that one. Um, I keep looking up at the last word here and thinking Voldemort. So let's bounce right back over, though, to uh, our wonderful artist. Uh, Just at a cursory glance, got a few photos, um, you know, an artiste, uh, a member of, of the 1870s, uh, probably relatively cultural elite, you know, coming from a family like that, um, uh, versus our administrative district.
1: Every once in a while, you just know. And I just know who's going to win. I don't think we got to beat a dead horse any further. And that town in Poland is going to thank us if we stop talking about it. I'm telling you, we got to move our actress friend right on into the next round.
2: I think that you're probably right. I mean, you know what? We've got a lot of small towns. We've got a lot of districts. But what we don't have are artists. And if you're going to get an artist, you want to come from a family of artists, a lineage of artists, a history of art. And uh, you're right, Rob. I believe that Franziska Elmenreich is... Uh, You give us all of that. The very last heroine of the German theater. You're in our veins, and moving on to the next round of
0: (laughs) the ultimate turn. Round five. Round five Round five.
1: Round
0: five.
1: Hey, that's what we said. In round five, we have Dupree Bolton against George Nixon. Okay, two famous last names, two relatively unfamous individuals. Let's learn a little bit more about them. Dupree Bolton, born March 3rd, 1929, passed away June 5th, 1993, was a jazz trumpeter from Oklahoma City in Oklahoma. He's known primarily for his appearance as the backing musician on two hard bop jazz albums, the first led by Harold Land and the second led by Curtis Amy. Okay, yeah.
2: Um, Now,
1: spent most
2: of his adult life incarcerated for nonviolent crimes related to his drug addiction, um, considered a mysterious figure by jazz musicians as well as writers during his lifetime um, because there was fairly little information available about him
1: now he did play with relatively few jazz musicians mainly in the la area and inside u.s prisons including san quentin and soledad biographical information on him began to emerge following his death most notably in the work of jazz historian ted goya who was able to find and interview bolton four years before his death
2: so yeah just scanning through here it seems as though this was a Highly talented uh, trumpet player. Is that correct? Played the trumpet? Yep. Uh, bopping and blowing and uh, just making it go. Um, however, he seems to have struggled throughout his entire life with um, drug addiction and uh, related incarceration that probably inhibited his career a bit.
1: Yeah. Now, I did come from a musical family. His father uh, trained him on violin. He learned very, very quickly. Uh, His father was actually a part-time professional violinist who played other stringed instruments, and he soon moved on to trumpet, progressed quickly there as well, and his brother was even a jazz pianist in Seattle. It seems as though
2: he was excellent in the bebop idiom, He was a gifted player, they say here. Um, In fact, here's a bit of a review. Uh, The tempo, quote, pushes a ridiculous 400 beats a minute. Roughly the rhythm of a machine gun shooting off its bullets. Rat-a-tat-a-tat-a-tat. He leaps off the starting gate like a man shot out of a cannon and never looks back. So this is just right here. You take in heroin you're taking the trumpet you're taking 400 beats a minute and this is the epitome of Bop. Now let's jump over let's bop over to our uh, probably uh, likely slightly contrasted individual the Archdeacon of Tuam George Robinson Nixon
1: Now George Nixon was educated at Trinity College in Dublin and ordained in 1909. And after Curioces in Tuam, Dublin, and Kilnamang, ugh, ugh, maybe, he became <laughs> rector of Killisnet in 1914. I feel like Trinity College in Dublin has made an appearance in the tournament before, but I can't place my finger on it.
2: I'm sure that one of our eagle-eyed and eared listeners will let us know through Anchor FM, where you can send us Blasts! You can send us comments. You can send us anything that you want, including corrections. Now, um, it seems as though this George Robinson Nixon was uh, pretty much a man of the cloth from uh, dawn to dusk.
1: Yeah, you can tell there's really not a bunch going on in your life when other people, their names make up the majority of your page on Wikipedia. So he was a dude in a place, at a time. That's really about it.
2: But you know who was the dude that made the place and who made that place be the time and had to stay in time at 400 beats a minute, which is
1: really, 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 really tough? Oh, it's got to be our friend Dupree Bolton.
2: Our good boppin' friend... Dupree Bolton. Uh, I'm going to select him. Do you want to just join me in this effort? Absolutely. All right. We're bebopping it into the next round. Dupree Bolton. Uh, we can't wait to get front row seats to your bopping fantastic blast of a concert in the next round of... The Ultimate
0: Terminal I love
1: bebop. I'm going to have to definitely find some of that music later.
0: Let's
2: move on to round six. And
0: you you'll find Scenic round six. Round six.
1: In round six, we have Tupola Morrisoni against athletics at the 1994 Jus de la Francophonie and their results.
2: Oh, I don't think anything need be said. Let's get right down to the battle.
1: Now, everyone knows, because we have been following his career since he was a and Tupala morisoni is a species of large crane fly.
2: Of course, uh, this large crane fly derives from the crane fly family of the Tipulidae. Um, of the um, Boston Tipply
1: Day. Yeah, the the Boston, the Boston Tipply Days. Other, <laughs> other bugs in this family include mosquito hawks, skeeter eaters, or daddy long legs. And uh, okay. they're gross. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, they're gross, but they're fine. See, these are those types of bugs that are real big and spooky looking, but... They're not interested in us. They're interested in the things that are interested in us, and thus they are our buddies. Speaking of buddies, let's jump over to our buddies at the athletics at the 1994 Jeux de la Francophonie and their results.
1: Now, as everyone knows, this is a track event in 1994 that happened in Bondoufle, France.
2: Indeed, Uh, and this track event held all of the track events that we are so used to and excited to see, including but not limited to the 100 meters, the 200 meters, the 400 meters, uh, pole vault, long jump, triple jump, and a decathlon.
1: Now, it's interesting here. I think some of these... Places, i don't see the u.s represented but it is an international competition probably united by the fact that some of them speak french which would explain why canada is represented and then separately quebec is represented listen quebec we know you're very canadian we understand we totally get it but could you be a little more canadian and a little less french
2: yeah stop poutine it right in our face all the time Uh, But looking at this, you know, America doesn't have to be everywhere, and uh, we don't have to speak French. Uh, I'm pretty sure we established that somewhere in the mid-1700s. Looking at this, uh, I'm going to jump right to the javelin throw, where Switzerland took first place with a throw of 75.12
1: distance units. distance units they're probably meters because it is france but who knows maybe they measured in baguettes over there i've never been perhaps that's it
2: i'm not sure i figured i would just trod the safe route um but you know who doesn't trod the safe route is those in the long jump uh including the winner here who ran uh they got a 8.06 um, there's a W after that. I'm not sure if that means it's some sort of war record, um, or not, but it seems like a good jump. It certainly was good enough on that day.
1: Hey, we can talk about throwing sticks and jumping over sand as much as we want, but everyone knows the money event is the 20 kilometer walk won by French national Jean Olivier Bressot with a time of one hour, 25 minutes and 48 seconds, unless they're also measuring that in baguettes.
2: But I got to say, I'm looking at all of this list of uh, human accomplishments, um, all of which would best my performance. However, I don't believe that the uh, mile, I don't believe that the uh, 800 meter, especially not the long jump or the triple jump would have been uh, exceeded by a human uh, beyond that which would have been performed by our friend the crane fly, Tipula Morris Sony. Um, I think it's the superior athlete in any given of these competitions, Sans the uh, shot put.
1: As everyone knows, bugs beat people. That's just how it is. If you've listened to the tournament, moths show up real well, and now their cousins, the flies, do it again. Moving on into the next round.
2: One, two, all at the same time. Morris Morisoni, you are only your way to the next round.
0: The ultimate turn of
1: We will definitely get French hate mail. Now granted, it'll be in French, so I won't understand it, but they'll be mad and they'll still send it to us.
2: Well, we will try to read it, and we'll have a real good time doing so, having taken none of the heat because we have no comprehension. Speaking of no comprehension, let's move on to round seven. Round seven. Round
0: seven. Round seven. Round seven.
1: In round seven, we have Fishing Creek, Bald Eagle Creek Tributary, against Mindy Bergen a neighborhood in the southwestern part of the city of Bergen.
2: Divine. A location versus a location. Let's see which one's vocation will be to proceed to the next round of the Ultimate Tournament of Everything.
1: Now, one of these is in Pennsylvania, and one of these is in the Pennsylvania of Europe, also known as Norway. We're going to start with the one in the U.S., which is Fishing Creek.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: As Rob said, a tributary of Bald Eagle Creek in Clinton County, Pennsylvania, in these United States, passing through a water gap in Bald Eagle Mountain at Mill Hall and joining Bald Eagle Creek near the borough of Flem,
1: Now, the Logan Mills grist mill was powered by water from Fishing Creek, and there's also a covered bridge that. Spans the creek and Logan Count Logan Township is in uh, around this area in Clinton County, Pennsylvania. And that is all we know, other than the fact that there's a picture and it looks like a creek.
2: That is an accurate assessment, Robert. Um, I must concur, indeed, this does look like a creek. Um, you know what, uh, probably doesn't. Well, I mean, I do see water, but it looks cold. Probably frozen. It's probably just crickin' around there. Is the town of Minde, Bergen in uh, southwestern Arstad in the city of Bergen in Norway?
1: Now it's located just south of the neighborhoods of Solheim in Kronstad. So now, I, now I know where it is. Of course, why didn't they name those other two places in Norway I knew before? Now I understand. Uh, and west of Landas north of Flasanger and Stravet uh, parts of Minda are in Fana municipality before the merger in 1972 that everyone remembers everyone remembers the merger between Mindebergen and the other Mindebergen
2: Wow. Um, It seems that an upper secondary school was formerly located there, operated jointly by three, three churches. Um, But as it failed to attain a body of students large enough for the operation of the school to be economically viable, it closed at the end of the school year of 2007-2008.
1: Now, there is one main highway in the city center of Bergen, European Route E39. Passes through Mindy and it is called the Foskenvragen Vinnen Probably. <laughs> that's let's don't quote me on that one. It's a four lane <laughs> dual carriageway, which I'm assuming just means road, and passes through the densely populated areas without grade separation.
2: Yes, uh, plans for a long tunnel bypass between two really fun named villages. Um, But the project was not included in the national transport plan for the period of 2010 through 2019. Um, Looks like there's also a light rail system, um, which opened in 2010 with a station in Minden.
1: Now, after reading the entirety of both of these articles, which is what we just did, I think I want Minde Bergen to move on, just so we can have another crack at those words we still won't be able to pronounce in the future.
2: You know what, Rob? Rob, let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you right now, and I want you to listen good. I completely agree with you, and I want to send Minden as well on to the next round.
0: Ah! It is the ultimate
1: turning of everything. Yeah. As it should be. Most definitely. It looks like a lovely
2: place. Houses surrounded by uh, mountainous areas. Um, yeah. Absolutely lovely. Almost as lovely as that divine location known as Round Eight.
0: I my chance have? Any? Round eight.
1: In round eight, we have the journals of Susanna Moody against the Great Ant Shrike.
2: Ooh, we have two fantastic competitors. Classics of the genre coming up against one another. We got a book versus a bird. Let's see which one has the gusto to get them through to the very next round of the ultimate tournament of everything.
1: As our Canadian friends know, and as some of our other friends probably also know, The Journals of Susanna Moody is a book of poetry written by Margaret Atwood, published in 1970.
2: Yes, um, it was an attempt to imagine and convey their feelings about life in, the, in Canada, in their era. Um, it separates into three separate journals, uh, which cover their arrival in 1832 to a post-death narration ending in 1969.
1: Now, apparently in the book... Margaret Atwood adopts the voice of Susanna Moody, who is a noted early Canadian writer, and attempts to imagine and convey Moody's feelings about life in Canada in her era.
2: Ah, fascinating. So this would be the equivalent of, say, me pretending to be Mark Twain and writing a book about what it's like to be in the Mark Twain era.
1: Yeah, but people read this one.
2: Absolutely, and probably just as fun of an accent to do so in. Speaking of, let's jump over to that beautifully voiced bird, which is the Great Ant Shrike.
1: Now, the Great Ant Shrike is a passerine bird in the ant bird family. There's a family of ant birds? Well, that's fantastic. It's the only member of the genus Taraba, and is the resident breeder in the Tropical New World in Southern Mexico, Central America, Trinidad, and South America.
2: Wow. That is one heck of a title. Um, Speaking of titles, the great ant shrike was described by the French ornithologist, Louis Villelot, in 1816, and given the binomial name, Thamnophilus major.
1: Um, There are 10 recognized subspecies of this bird. Now the great ant shrike is a large and distinctive ant bird typically about 8 inches long, weighs about 56 grams. It has a crest, a heavy-hooked bill, and brilliant red eyes. The adult male has black upper parts with two white wing bars and white underparts. I don't know we got to talk about his underwear. That's rude. We just met the bird. There's a white dorsal <laughs> patch, normally concealed except in threat display, and young males are similar to the adult.
2: Well, when you start putting the uh, female and the male Great ant shrike together, inevitably, you're, go- you're bound to get a couple of eggs. Uh, see, the female sometimes lays two, maybe three gray-marked white eggs in a deep cup nest in a shrub, which are incubated by both sexes for 14 days to hatching. And then the uh, chicks are able to fledge in another 12 days. That's a pretty short turnaround there.
1: Now, they feed on insects and other bugs gleaned from foliage. They will also eat small lizards and mammals occasionally. Now, it is a skulking species. I think we were all skulking at one time, especially as teenagers, but it is a skulking species of bird. And it, uh, yeah, there's a, a book about some of its songs. It makes a snarled churr sound, and they do sleep. So there we go. They do sleep
2: yes um it has 30 to 40 musical and i'll quote it here notes um in addition to that snarled chur so this is a versatile bird we've got a map here it covers a very significant portion more than half of southern of south america um, even reaching into central and north america it looks like a pretty cool bird. This book that we've hardly talked about sounds interesting yet contrived. And so, Ant Shrike, I think I'm going to move you on as my choice to the next round
0: of... You
1: want to fight about it, Rob? I do believe, as you were describing the wonderfulness that is the Ant Shrike, I could just hear it in the background, just, just back chirping away. And mm. I, that was just enough for me to move it on as well. Indeed. Ant Shrike, you have ant striked your way into the
0: next round of. It's the ultimate tournament of everything.
2: Oh my. Have we made it there already? Already. Well, let's take this moment to remind any of our listeners that you can like and subscribe. You can check us out weekly, daily with our scouting reports. And through Anchor FM, you can send us in blasts and messages, however you please. I promise we'll hear them, even if they're not suitable for the air. With that being said, let's move on to round nine.
0: It's about time. Round nine.
1: round nine. I'm so excited. I know, me too. By the way, we do appreciate all three of our listeners. So thanks guys. You three are the best.
2: Even three listeners have six ears, and if each of your ears tell a friend, that's already up to a number I can't calculate. Who will we be facing off against each other in this round of the ultimate tournament?
1: In round nine, we have Folkestone Roman Villa against Adri van Hulingen. Now, Mike, we are going to play this game I know you love. We are going to figure out what Adri van Hulingen actually does. I'm going to give you four options, and you're going to tell me which one you think he does before we talk about him. Thank goodness, because without options, I would have no clue. I will tell you that he's from the Netherlands if that is going to help, okay? So, Audrey Van Hulingen, is he the founder of Ikea? Is he a retired road bicycle racer? Is he a C-suite executive at a former tech company? Or is he the frontman to the Netherlands death metal band? Hey, don't put that in the train.
2: You think you're real smart, don't you, Rob? Think you can pull one over on me? Never. Not not this cat. No way. I know the truth. And what's the, what's the name that, that you said? Who are we talking about? Audrey Van Hoolingen. Audrey Van Hoolingen is, as we all know, all four of those things. Thank you. The answer is E,
1: all of the above. Not technically wrong, but also not technically correct. Uh, He is a retired road bicycle racer from the Netherlands who rode in the Tour de France.
2: And that was my backup guess.
1: Well, there we go. Let's start with him, why don't we? He was born October 27th, 1953 in the city of Haslet in Gelderland. He was a professional rider from 1978 to 1987 and won the 18th stage at the 1982 Tour de France.
2: Okay, yeah, definitely won a stage. Um, he also competed in the team time trial events in the 1976 Olympics. Uh, his brother, Jan, was also a professional cyclist, uh, very successful Uh, yeah, it seems like this guy had, uh, he put the pedal to the metal and, uh, went as far as he could. Um, he's no Lance Armstrong, but who would like to be? Let's find out if our other
1: competitor is, uh,
2: underneath that category.
1: Folkestone Roman Villa, also referred to as the East Bay Site, is a villa built during the Roman occupation of Britain. Located in East Ware Bay... Near the port town of Folkestone in Kent.
2: Okay, situated near a cliff top overlooking the English Channel with views of the French coast of Bologna on a clear day.
1: Bologna. Hmm. Here we call that baloney.
2: That's baloney. You see, what's not baloney is that this is situated near the start of the North Downs trackway. And the area has been inhabited for thousands of years with archaeological finds in the area and at the Via site dating back to the Mesolithic and Neolithic ages.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of history here. The excavation of the site actually didn't happen until relatively recently. It was known known that it was there by the inhabitants for many years. The land was notoriously difficult to farm because of old stones which damaged farming equipment. And in 1919, the first dig was planned, but it wasn't until 1924 that it was fully excavated.
2: Yeah, this is definitely a place where people have lived for a long time, and then people forgot that people lived there. And then more people thought, hey, it would be a great idea to live here. And they realized that, hey, other people have already had this idea before, and this repeated over and over. Until today, it is represented by a Wikipedia article, which we are reading at present. Um, I think that this is a you know significant historical site. Obviously, a lot of people have thought, hey, what a nice place to live. Um, that being said, I think that this Adrian von Haufeigen, you know, I mean, not the worst person to be.
1: You know what the Folkestone Roman Villa can't do? Ride a bike. It cannot yeah. ride a bike, but you know who can? Our friend Audrey. And I think I gotta move him on because he can ride a bike in Folkestone Roman Villa. You're a place people lived and then other people lived and then other people lived and clearly forgot about, just like I did. So I'm gonna move our bicycle friend into the next round.
0: The ultimate turn of
1: everything. Okay. Okay, but
2: I just, you know, to play devil's advocate here, Stone, Roman Via, it goes all the way back. A lot of people have liked it. I'm guessing that a bunch of those people probably could have ridden bikes, even though most of them lived there before bikes existed. Um, however... I have faith in these individuals, and I have faith that they'll be successful into the next round. So I'm actually going to choose Folkestone Roman as my choice to move on to the next round of
0: the ultimate <laughs> tournament. <of every>
2: <laughs> and thus we are at an impasse.
1: Well, as as we've established earlier, we're going to complete a tiebreaker by me and you each getting on a bicycle and riding to the center of the country, and whoever gets there first wins.
2: There are a lot more mountains between me and the center than you and the center. Sounds like I win. Let's figure it out as we dive into...
0: Time Breaker. a
1: We will instead actually be picking a number between 1 and 10,000, and I'm going to go with the birth year of our bicycle friend, 1953.
2: Mm, all the way up to 10,000 you say. And 1950... Oh, okay, 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 okay. Um, I'm going to go with... You said 1953? I did. I'm going to go with 75, for this Via was built originally around AD
1: 75. Our number randomly selected at this moment is... 3,295.
2: Oh, oh, oh. and by a literal landslide, that means that Audrey van Howelleweningen, the uh, retired road bicycle racer from the Netherlands, you've pedaled your way to the front of the pack and are moving on to the next
1: round
0: of the (laughs) ultimate turn of everything.
1: It's always nice when we get to catch up with some of the competitors that we've been following for literal years as we randomly find out about them in the moment.
2: Yeah, but especially even a retired road bicycle racer is faster than us. So if you're going to ride with them, you're probably going to be lagging behind and following. Uh, But if you're following us, you can find a new posting every single day and two new episodes of the Ultimate Tournament of Everything per week. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and download Rock. Can you send us away with one more
1: gem? It's not music for your ears. We don't pronounce it right, but we hope you had a good time. We sure know we did. In the Ultimate Tournament of
2: Everything.
0: the Ultimate Tournament of Everything.